Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. The Miami Heat, Eastern Conference champions as they go to Boston and win it 103-84, to which means now the Heat go to Denver to open up the uh, NBA Finals on Thursday. You get to the NBA Finals, it's not about seeding anymore. And for those that are thinking that this is going to be an easy series, um, I don't even know what to say to you people. I mean, like this is going to be the biggest challenge of our lives. It's the NBA Finals. And this is, you're trying to win the first NBA championship in franchise history. It's going to be the hardest thing that we've ever done, which is the way it should be. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. I don't know about you, but I love hearing Coach Malone talk. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm believing believe the hype, falling for the banana in the tailpipe, drinking the Kool-Aid. Insert whatever line you want to insert. When it's Coach Malone talking, I'm listening. It ain't Post Malone. It's Coach Malone. I enjoy hearing him. And to talk a little bit about Coach Malone and the Denver Nuggets, we have Matt Smith, 104.3, the fan in Denver, joining the show, kicking off hour number three. And, uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. And what is it about Coach Malone, man, where it just seems like he demands the attention of everyone who will listen? He's certainly been on one here this postseason run. Thanks for having <laughs> me on the show. I, uh, I've enjoyed it, certainly, and so has everyone here in Denver. I, you know what's, what's really funny about it? is Nuggets fans by nature have had their heart broken so many times that whenever they talk, they've never backed it up in their franchise's 47-year history. So here comes Coach Malone pretty much all postseason, and he hasn't been afraid to speak his mind one lick. And it's made people around here a little nervous, at least it did early, and now people are starting to get behind it where they're starting to really talk and kind of take the personality of the coach. He's a really grounded guy, and he'll just, you know, he's from Queens. He's kind of that New York attitude, a little brash sometimes, but he's just a pretty real, real dude, and he's been here for a long time, and I think he feels pretty comfortable enough to at least speak his mind. I like it. I like it a lot. And, you know, there's different things he's been saying. You know, he said that the Nuggets beat the Lakers, and everyone's talking about L.A. And how much of Mm. what he says to the media is he using to kind of help fuel his team (laughs) and just keep saying that, hey, you know what, they still don't respect us? No, absolutely. I mean, the clip you guys just played coming in from break, I think, says it all, right? He just said, hey, look, everybody who thinks this is going to be an easy series, think again, right? This is going to be the biggest challenge of our lives even though a lot of people are predicting the Nuggets to win this series rather easily. So (laughs) he has definitely adopted the the us-against-the-world mentality. Yeah, that's me. That's me. (laughs) Before you came on, I said, look, I've been wrong all NBA playoffs long, but I feel like Denver's going to really handle their business against Miami and uh, hoist their first championship. So we'll see. But, man, you know, being there in Denver, that home court advantage that the Nuggets have, that's pretty incredible. Oh, it's real, man. The altitude when you come up here, when you're playing down at sea level, it, it gets you, and it gets you in the second half of games. And I think there's a lot of nervous fans around here, but the ones who are real, you know, kind of realists here understand Miami's just gone through a seven-game series. It's been a grind for them, especially with the way they play. Now they get two days off, and now they've got to come play here at altitude where Denver has not lost this postseason. It's going to be a tall task. I would be stunned if Miami picks off a game here, really. And this is coming from a guy who has had serious questions about this Denver Nuggets team for the last five years or so. I covered the Nuggets starting back in, I want to say, 2012 when Brian Shaw was still here. Mm. So I've seen the ascension of this core. And this is a team that's ready now. And to have a a built-in advantage with home court, I think that was one of the biggest things to come out of last night for the Nuggets. It was a huge break not to have to go to Boston to start the series. They haven't had to go on the road to start a series at all this postseason. So it was a big break, and I think they're going to catch Miami in game one here. 
Matt Smith, 104.3 The Fan in Denver is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Necessary Roughness, DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, you mentioned with Coach Malone about that attitude that he has. Has the team also adopted the nobody believes in us even though we're the number one seed persona? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> almost, you know, from, from the top of the roster down, except for except for Nikola Jokic, who, honest to God, I don't think he's watched ESPN a day in his life. You know, that's <laughs> the type of guy he is. So everybody but him, Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, a lot of these guys, but it is also true, right? I mean, more eyes are drawn to bigger markets. So there is some truth in it, and it's not going to change. It's not like a producer is going to say, hey, look, you know, we, let's talk about the Nuggets today when they haven't earned it. You have to go out and earn it. So I, I, think, I think this has been kind of a, a, a big vindication and validation moment for the entire franchise who for a long time has clamored for more attention but truthfully has never earned it. Now they have a chance to go out and do just that. And then when this team when it comes to getting that media attention, they're the best offensive team in the league, and you would think people want to see a team that's going to put points on the board. What makes this offense so special? Uh, Nikola Jokic. He's the son that everyone else revolves around. I mean, until you really watch him consistently, I, I think you're not really sure of, of, of what your appreciation for a player of his caliber should be because it's unorthodox, right? It doesn't look like a typical superstar looks. But once you start to watch him, he does things that we've never seen, and that is really what, what changes the game. He's a center that plays point guard. He's a point center, the first one truthfully in NBA history, and, and he's the best passer in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to, to have those two combinations, being such an unselfish player, and that's part of it is their culture. And I mean this, that I've covered you know uh, football and, and hockey and basketball and all these sports but I've never seen a locker room culture quite like theirs. And it dates back to when Michael Malone got the job. It's very unselfish. It's all team first. And there really aren't big egos. I would say Jamal Murray probably has the biggest ego. And he's a pretty, you know, selfless guy. So, and he doesn't really, he's not really, you know, when he's on the floor, he's a bit of a, he's more assuming than he is when he's off the floor. But it's just a very humble environment. And that starts from, top down with Nikola Jokic because he he does not care who gets the credit. Matt Smith, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. He's our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Talking all things Nuggets. And, Matt, I'll say this, man. There's two things in the NBA I believe in to my core. One, the Warriors score 100 points before the opponent. They're going to win that game. And two, the Joker gets a triple-double. They're going to win that game. What is it about the Joker and triple-doubles? It's almost like they are attracted to him, like he's a magnet, and triple-doubles come and find him. He, he just sleepwalks to him. In the first <laughs> half, he'll have like 15, 7, and 6, and you're just like, what? Right. how? Right. Like, you just don't even notice it, and you don't even bat an eyelash. He does it so casually. He's just so good at getting everyone else involved, and the key for Denver this year is they finally have Murray and Porter Jr. healthy, and those guys have matured, especially Michael Porter Jr. He has really taken his biggest jump since being a professional since the start of January. And when you put Nikola Jokic with shooters like that, adding KCP and Bruce Brown was so critical in the offseason because they needed perimeter defenders because the one critique of the Nuggets is that their dudes are not defenders. I heard Eric Spolster last night say, look, you're not going to have a great defense if your best players aren't great defenders. And truthfully, the Nuggets are kind of bucking that trend because while Nikola Jokic is a much better defender than people give him credit for, he's still not an elite defensive player, and neither is Murray and certainly not Porter Jr. So you need to support those guys with Aaron Gordon, with KCP, with Bruce Brown. They've done a nice job balancing this team. Now, they're not very deep. So if they get into foul trouble and they test their depth, that'll be interesting. I just don't think Miami's going to be able to put them in that position in this series.
And then when it comes to the depth of Miami, they aren't that deep either. But with today being media availability for the Nuggets, was anyone asked about the legend of playoff Jimmy and how that's maybe they're just going to be playing against the myth that Jimmy Butler is creating against himself as yeah, he's just not going to give up and they're going to have to find a way just to beat him. You know, I think everyone has a very healthy amount of respect for that Miami Heat team. How could you not? Eric mm-hmm. Spolster is arguably the best coach in the NBA. I mean, if you look at it on the whole, what the Heat have done since he, have t- since he has taken over. And one of the biggest criticisms about Spolster was, you know, is it all LeBron? And I think now we know it wasn't all just LeBron, right? There, he's done a very nice job down there. But with Butler specifically, everyone knows how hard this Heat team plays. I got a couple of buddies around the league, actually, and I've been talking to them throughout this playoff run, and everybody keeps telling me, look, the Heat plays so hard. They play so hard, and they definitely do, but this is a different animal in Denver than they have faced. So, to be honest with you, they have a healthy amount of respect. I think Aaron Gordon said today that he's treating the game plan like the Bible for the next few days, but... They, they know who they're facing, but they've also had a lot of success against this Heat team, so there's no intimidation there. In the regular season matchup, the Nuggets, they got them 2-0. Is there any sender out there that maybe proposed some matchup issues for for the Joker that maybe the Heat could look at? Because, bam, certainly in the regular season, didn't really give them that much of a challenge. Bro, I, that is the biggest question that Eric Spolster is going to have to find a way to answer in the next few days. When you look at this matchup on paper – Adebayo is going to have to exert so much on the defensive end to just keep up with Nikola Jokic. And he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but no one has stopped Joker. And this is an argument that I've been having here, you know, especially at our station back in Denver the last few days. It's, it's, he just went through Gobert and Anthony Davis like water, averaging mm-hmm. triple doubles in these series. Like, I don't, I, I don't think Bam's got anything for him. Who are they going to bring off the bench? They don't have anybody else. Udonis has them. He's got one foot in the retirement home. I, I mean, like Cody Zeller's got six hard fouls waiting for him. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like they're going to have to do something. But the one thing I think, if I'm Miami, that I try to do is take everybody else away. I'm focusing on Murray and Porter and the perimeter players that I match up better with. I love the matchup for Spolstra putting Jimmy Butler on Jamal Murray at the point of attack. If they can take away what Murray does, it definitely makes the Nuggets more human. I mean, Murray averaged almost 33 points a game in the Western Conference Finals. Not enough is being said about Jamal Murray either. So if I look at that from Eric Spolster, you're going to have to live with a lot of what Nikola Jokic does. But I've always believed that if you can find a way to take away, in my eyes, I call it his appendages, what he uses on the floor, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, KCP in the corner, if you can take some of those guys away, you definitely, you know, if you can hang around with Denver, you got a chance. And then who are some of those surprise role players that people maybe don't know about? Bruce Brown comes to mind. Where I just yeah. Who are the role players that maybe the, the mainstream guys aren't looking for on the Nuggets? Yeah, good question. The Nuggets play, what they, what they started off the playoffs going with was an eight-man rotation where they had Christian Brown, who played at Kansas last year and won a national title. He was actually the latest a rookie had been playing into this playoff run. But his minutes started to wane against the Lakers uh, to a point where he didn't see the floor. So at the end of the Western Conference Finals, the Nuggets were too deep off the bench with Bruce Brown, who came over from Brooklyn. And there were great, great reviews about what he did in Brooklyn last year, being one of the only players to show up in that playoff series against Boston. 
And then this year coming over, you didn't have a ton of suitors. And he's over on about a $6.8 million for this year deal. And people around here are freaking out because they don't want to lose him. People, people think he's about to get the bag. He's a former you know, University of Miami shooting guard, but he's kind of playing out of position as the Nuggets' backup ball handler. But he's done a very nice job. And I think he's got 12 of 15 games in the postseason now that are, that are over double digits off the bench. So they've got him and then Jeff Green. Uncle Jeff Green. I mean, this guy, how he still dunks at his age, I, I, I don't know. He's still got plenty of lift, but he's been up and down, but certainly that veteran experience has helped. Talking all things Nuggets right now with Matt Smith from 104.3 The Fan in Denver here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you, and I did want to dip into the NFL a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, as far as just the fan base goes, I mean, this is the first time that Denver's been in the finals, so I know the fans are fired up about the Broncos. They're fired up about the Avalanche. What's the feeling right now around the Nuggets? Yeah, that, that's another good point, Q. This is Broncos country around here. But there are a lot of Denver Nugget fans. For, for a lot of people who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s, they, they really kind of grew up with only two teams, the, the Nuggets and the Broncos, right? It wasn't until later that the Avalanche came to town and the Rockies as well, not until the 90s. And so those are the two teams. And there's a big topic of conversation going on around here today about, well, if the Nuggets were to win the title, where would it rank among all of Denver's titles? And a lot of the responses coming in, it would rank second behind the Broncos beating the Packers in, wow. in, in Super Bowl, what, 32 that was? So there, there's a lot of support. I think there was about 600,000, I want to say, for the Avs uh, Cup Parade last year. I would expect that number to be closer to a million if the Nuggets win. I really would. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of support. The tickets are just outrageous, the prices. So, so I, I think there's a lot of demand, and you're starting to see the, the merch tents pop up on the corners by the <laughs> gas station. So it's a, it's a cool vibe right now. I have no doubt. I, I, I'm sure that they're all excited about the opportunity to go and uh, win a championship there for Denver and the Nuggets. So uh, as far as how many games you think this series could potentially go, and of course our predictions are always guaranteed to be wrong, but how, how long do you think this series goes? I'm not one to say things like this, guys. I'm really not. But I think they sweep them. And, I, oh. and like I said, and like I said, I am not a I am not a born and bred Nuggets fan. I'm from Chicago. I grew up with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? Like that's that's where my heart. Good lies. man, but good man. I've been watching this team throughout this entire playoff run, and, and like I said, I've been covering them for over ten years now. And they're they're ready. There's a maturity there, and and the rest and the rust factor I don't think comes into play at all. I think Miami will look worn down. I would be stunned if it goes back to Miami, anything other than 2 nothing. And then maybe Tyler Hero comes back in Game 3, but I think there's some Heat fans saying, well, I don't know about that because things are going pretty well right now without him, but obviously he's one of their best players. So maybe he comes in and, and makes a difference, but I just think that they don't have an answer for Nicola, and mm-hmm. I think Denver is really hungry. There, there's only one version of being starving, and the Nuggets are starving right now. Something that I really wanted to ask about the Denver Nuggets, you know, maybe midway through the season, when they traded Bones Highland, that was a guy that I was really high on. He's a bucket getter. But how did that yeah. help the, the locker room improve and the play on the court? That's another really good point because that was a big storyline for the Nuggets this season. So they draft this kid in the first round out of VCU late in the first round that really nobody has high expectations for. And then he comes in and starts to turn some heads and he makes the Rising Stars game and he's a good shooter but a bit of a volume shooter, struggles defensively. He's got some handles but he's reckless with the basketball. But the problem was he got a little big for his britches this year. And I think the relationship between he and Jamal Murray – 
uh, wasn't all that great. I think Bones was a little bit um, reluctant to take some of the to take some of this Nuggets culture because, like I said, guys, it, it's a rare culture that's not for everyone. And and there were times when Bones started to pout, and they tried to do some things with him. But Michael Malone doesn't have a great history of compromising for young players. And there was a situation where Bones just straight up left the game and the arena early during the game. And once that happened, it was pretty clear where this was headed. But he was a good young kid. I think he's a really nice person, good person. But I think there's a little bit too much ego there. And they didn't want any distractions, especially for a team that had never been you know, to the Western Conference Finals outside of the bubble since '09, right? This core had never made it that far. So I think they really, with the veteran leadership group with DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith and Jeff Green, I think some of those guys made the decision along with Jokic and Murray that said, hey, look, you know, this is just not working if you're going to make it about you and not about the team because we're on a mission this year. All right, two but, predictions. But I, will say, but I will say they really screwed up at the trade deadline. It's remarkable that they didn't do anything to get better at the trade deadline. Both of their trades were massive, were massive fails in trading Highland to, to the Clippers for two second rounders and then getting Thomas Bryant from the Lakers. That's just, I mean, Bryant doesn't see the floor and they picked up Reggie Jackson. And so imagine if the Nuggets would have made better moves, like bringing in maybe a Corey Joseph from Detroit or Mason Plumley, how much better they could have actually been. So, you know, it's impressive to see the route that they've taken to get here. All right, so two predictions that I do want you to make. Is there any chance that Jamal Murray can maybe win finals MVP? And do we get a Carmelo sighting to try to get some of that Denver glory (laughs) now that they're in the finals? Um I think after seeing the Western Conference Finals transpire, Jamal averaged 33 points a game. There were a lot of people around here who thought that he probably should have gotten that one as well. But after Jokic received it for that and Jamal averaged 33, I don't think there's any way that he could put up a performance in the finals that would give him that MVP over Jokic, especially the level with Nicole, that Nicole is playing right now. So I would be surprised, to be honest with you, but I think he could play at that level without necessarily being recognized. Um, and then uh, what, what, what was the second part there? Is Carmelo going to try to steal some of the oh, Nuggets Mello. thunder and come in and, Mello, you know, Mello, get Mello. like the, hey, I'm retired look? You know what? There, there's nothing like the hate of a scorned X. And that's what the city of Denver is for Carmelo Anthony. You know, like I said, this team has been heart, you know, this team's fan base has been heartbroken so many times that there's a lot of people around here that you'd be surprised still harbor a lot of resentment for Mello wanting to leave Denver, even though it was really Lala who wanted to get out of there. It was Mello who left, and so that it was never going to work long-term with Mello. But maybe if they had beaten the Lakers in 09. But the point here is that Denver really, you know, they, didn't, they, they gave Jokic his number. I remember the day that, that, that it came out that Jokic was going to get number 15, and I was really surprised. Mello was the only nugget that I was ever, like, a real fan of, and I didn't like it. But I, I, I don't see it in the NBA Finals unless he pays his own money to show up, then maybe – but maybe they'll honor him at some point down the line. But I think this franchise actually still holds a, a bit of a grudge towards him, to be honest. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> when you talk yeah, about Melo yeah, and the I mean, Nuggets, think that that is a I, done deal. I would love to see a reunion, though, because he was the best player in franchise history before Nikola Jokic came along and ascended to greatness. I mean, right. Melo was the dude. Like, I mean, Melo mm-hmm. was the reason the Nuggets were any sort of relevant, you know, in the, in the early 2000s. So. 
Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. That'll be interesting to see if they ever, you know, kind of come together and, and like you said, reconcile. But uh, that, that'll be for another day as I think that they're 100% focused on trying to hoist that championship. Again, Matt Smith, mm-hmm. 104.3 The Fan in Denver, is our guest. Got a couple football questions I wanted to ask you. I was on your radio yep. show yesterday with Sean Marino. We were talking about Jimmy G, and I brought up Jarrett Stidham, and I'm still shocked that Jarrett Stidham's not here in Vegas with the Raiders. He's a backup there in Denver. What is, what is your understanding of the role that Jarrett Stidham's going to have this year? He is the break glass in case of emergency. Hey, maybe we might get something out of this guy and hit the lottery type of type of player. The, the key to look for is the contract. They gave him the two-year, $10 million contract, which had all of us surprised. We were all like, wait. And, and it was right away, guys. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they waited. They, they got him right away. And so we've learned that Sean Payton really liked his tape when he was coming out of the draft, kind of one of those situations where you see somebody, you scout somebody, you like him, he goes to somebody else. But, hey, maybe when he hits free agency, we take a look at him. And that's what happened with Jared Stidham. And basically, you had to look at the quarterback market and say, okay, Russ is our starter, so we can't have somebody that's necessarily going to compete for the starting job. However, Stidham's a younger guy in his very limited experience. The one, what was it, the San Francisco game that he went crazy and kind of shocked us all, right? So it's the one game that he lost, right, that they lost uh, of of NFL experience. But, uh, well, what did he make, two starts? Two starts, yeah, last two of the season. Yeah, two starts. Yeah, so he made those two starts. And look, it's all about Russ here in Denver. So Jared Stidham, we hope, doesn't have to see the field ever. But if we're going based upon history, Russ, the last two years of his uh, of his career, has started to miss some games where the previous 10, he was known for his durability. And so maybe it comes into play this year. The second year is a, is a team option if they, if they like what they see and they want to keep him around. But that is an option in case you have to dump Russ after the season post-June 5th so you don't have to deal with the dead cap over three years and restart. And maybe you got a younger guy who comes in and can kind of steady the ship, or maybe you get something out of him. But Sean Payton clearly likes him. Well, and that's how I want to wrap this up is talk about Sean Payton. What's the overall feeling now that he's there in Denver? I feel like the Chargers blew it by not firing Staley and allowing uh, Sean Payton to go to Denver and, and be able to coach up Russ. What has been the feeling since Sean Payton's taken over? You know, how, how do you feel like the, the Broncos will come out the gates as, well, they host the Raiders week one? Yeah, look, I mean, you, you, you gave me some disappointing news yesterday when you said worst-case scenario, Jimmy G might not play. I was hoping to see Brian Hoyer week one. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not as good, good for us here in Denver. No, but I, I, this was necessary. Nathaniel Hackett came in and, uh, you know, pooped the bed last year. I mean, if we're being honest with you, it was a rough season in Denver and these people are football crazy Mm -hmm. and so when you look at the situation here you needed an adult in the room they traded for Russell and basically handed him the keys his people were in the building he was having state of the union meetings on guys off days on Tuesday the inmates had run the asylum what you needed was an adult in the room so there were two guys it was between Jim Harbaugh and Sean Payton and since Sean Payton has come in here they have locked it up. He talked about wanting anonymous donors. He doesn't want Russ on social media. He doesn't want guys doing all this. He doesn't want leaks. In fact, it's, it, it's rumored that the reason Brandon McManus was moved on from their kicker is because they think he was the leak in the locker room, which, guys, that has been a very, very interesting decision because I don't want to be on kicker roulette. You guys there are blessed in Vegas with Carlton. <laughs> right. But nobody wants to be juggling with kickers in and out every other week. I mean, that is not a position to be in. So that's how important tightening the screws on this thing have been. And with full support from Greg Penner and the Walmart group there with ownership, 
it's it's been impressive to see because we also have to remember this is a Denver team that's kind of been rudderless the last ten years or so as Pat Boland's health declined and then he eventually passed and it was the team was given to the trust of the Boland kids who were infighting and no one was really qualified to take over. They had Joe Ellis running the show, but really when you don't have an owner there, you know, w- you know, with, with somebody that's got full support of the organization and and for us in Denver, they've got all the resources in the world being the NFL's richest owners. So. The, the Sean Payton era is off to a solid start, but the one lesson we all learned here in Denver from last year is you've got to prove it on the field. Nobody's right. going to get over their mm-hmm. knees this year. No, that's real, and that's how it is here, right? I mean, as, as much as you might look at some moves and say, that's good, that's good, that's great, that's uh, questionable, okay, but it's all about what they do on the field. <laughs> at I'll, the I'll, tell you th- I'll tell you this, Q. We, we, we went through, when the schedule got released, we do the old radio practice where you pick the schedule, yep. right? Yep. And I came, out, I came out with 10 wins, and I wanted to throw up. I was like, <laughs> God, are you talking about a five-win team to a 10-win team? They've got to prove a lot of things. I think they got big questions at, at Edge Rush with Randy Gregory and Barrett Brown. he got unproven's in some crucial spots, and they spent a bunch of money on the offensive line because Russ was the most sacked quarterback in Broncos history for a single season last year. they got to find a way to keep him upright, too. You know, it's so funny. We went over that same schedule. We did the same practice, and I don't know how many times I did it, probably about 15 times. I still came up with like nine or ten wins, and I was like, that's, oh, yeah. that's too many that's for too a team many. that won six. That's too many. Right. That's too many. Yeah. That's too many. I was like, how, yeah. did I, how did I walk into that? But So I feel like the window is anywhere from like seven to ten, and I think that that's being generous times but again man it's all about what they do on the field and well this is what we do here behind the mic so <laughs> there's that well matt fantastic stuff man thanks for giving us some extra time here this afternoon what uh what are you working on that we should be on the lookout for man just follow us at denversports.com we got a ton of great stuff coming out there i do a sunday show every every week here with kyle reese and and all of next week actually i'm gonna be jumping on all of our different shows during the nba finals morning you know afternoon mm-hmm. and midday and and just kind of breaking this thing down because we've been blessed here, man. Last year with the Avalanche, this year with the Nuggets, this we all know that this these are the good times, and it, it, it won't last forever. So you got to soak it in while while you can, and we've been appreciating it for sure. Amen, brother. I was just saying before you came on, covering a winner is fun. <laughs> oh, it's fun. It, it is fun, and covering a loser, man. There's nothing that will suck your soul out of you faster. No doubt. Facts. Those are facts right there from Matt Smith, 104.3 The Fan in Denver, at Real Matt Smith on Twitter. Matt, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you. We'll catch up soon. Hey, anytime, guys. Thanks so much for the time. No doubt. Appreciate you. Great, great, great hit right there. Matt Smith, 104.3 The Fan in Denver, on Twitter at Real Matt, and that's Matt with one T, Smith. You can follow him and check him out. And like I said, I was blessed to be on his show yesterday with Sean Marino, and he returned a favor and gave us great time here on Radio Nation Radio 920. 426 is the time. We'll come back, get to your calls, get to your texts. We'll talk some Jimmy G. We'll go over some of these texts. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Many thanks to Matt Smith, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Gave us a really good preview for the NBA Finals from a Denver Nuggets side of things. Tomorrow we'll talk about the Miami Heat and what they bring to the table. I'll say I was a little shocked when Matt said that he felt like the Denver Nuggets were going to sweep Miami because it's the Finals and anything could happen. I could see Miami getting a game. I don't think they win a game in Denver, but I definitely believe they're going to win at least one game in South Beach. But I'm looking at it's the Nuggets in six. Uh, just because I feel like that, you know, a sweep would be disappointing for the NBA in general, <laughs> right? And I, and somehow Jimmy Buckets is going to come up big in one game, and maybe the rest of the Miami Heat will actually compliment him as well. So I'm saying six, but who knows? Matt Smith told us four games, four-game sweep for the Denver Nuggets. Like I said, we'll get a Heat, 
point of view tomorrow on the show. And then on Thursday, we'll just deep dive into the NBA Finals as well as the, they will get started on Thursday. I want to get back to our calls and texts at 702-365-9200 and the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. If you call in, my man Greg Salerno is behind the wheels of steel. Also got Demon Cotton and myself rocking with you till the till about 12, 5 o'clock, and then you'll hear uh, the Raider Roundtable. Myself and JT recorded earlier today at Raiders HQ. So I threw out the question, did the Raiders potentially make a mistake by not pursuing another veteran quarterback or not getting more aggressive in the draft to go get their potential franchise guy? And we got a text from the 707. I feel that the staff just didn't broaden their horizons enough with respect to the quarterbacks. I think it was Florio that said earlier today that it was all eggs in one basket. If they would have put the same focus on properly replacing Carr as they have of busting the seams of the wide receiver room, we wouldn't be having this discussion. So there's that. What do you think, Damon? He is he is not wrong when it comes to busting the seams at the wide receiver room. They are stacked. We are having the discussion, I guess, when we want to have it, about who's going to make the team at wide right. receiver because they have so many good options. Where a guy like Dorsetti, oh, he, he should, he's a lock. I don't know anymore with all the additions that they've made. Right. So he's right about that. But also, when it comes to that veteran guy, for me, we talk about Brian Hoyer. He knows the system. I know he wasn't in it for for as long, but Jacoby Brissett, why mm, not? For He yeah. was a guy for me that if they would have, you know, rolled him out, if they would have went up to got the potential Where did back, he end up? Is he still in Cleveland? I'll look it up right now. But for me, that was a guy, why not him? Because he's someone that could at least give you that option of, Hey, he's not that bad, right? Yeah, that's not again. That's not if I came in here and said, "Hey, guess what? The Raiders just signed Jacoby Brissett." I don't see anybody doing a backflip, right? I don't see anyone saying, "Yay!" You know. And this is the thing about it: when when I talked about replacing Carr, and I don't mean to keep bringing him up, but I mean that was the last quarterback that the Raiders had. Obviously, uh, when I talked about that, I said the Raiders have to have the plan, not just a plan, but they have to have the plan. Like they have to know exactly, okay. We're moving on from this guy. We're going to go and do this, this, and this, and that's how that's how the sausage is going to be made. And at some point, it feels like they did this. We're going to do that. Got derailed into doing this, and then fell back on doing that. Right? It just felt like maybe everything wasn't as as a matter of fact as they wanted it to be. Jacoby Brissett, he's in Washington right now, one year, eight million dollars. But he would have been the guy for me. You signed him. If you think that you want to go get that potential guy, he's the guy that you sign, and we're going to trade up to try to get whoever's going to be available to to us at number two. That was that guy for me. Like th- that would have been the plan that I would have liked to have mm-hmm. seen. Obviously, hey, you would say you don't get Tyree Wilson or maybe even Michael Mayer. Yeah, but know, I do like yeah. the, I do like all top three guys that were picked. You know, one, two, and three. I do think that those guys are going to be you know good options at quarterback. So for me, that would have been the option I would have wanted to And that's the other thing. You know, if you trade up to get a quarterback, like if you trade up to go get a C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson, and one of them doesn't pan out, then you don't get a Tyree Wilson, you don't get a Michael Mayer, and you have a bad quarterback, right? So it's like, it's like, it's it's such a, say it that the the draft is such a crapshoot, but it literally is a crapshoot. We don't know if any of those cats, Bryce Mm -hmm. Young might not end up being that guy, right? I mean, who knows? C.J. Stroud might not be that guy. Anthony Richardson might not be that guy. Who knows? Hell, Aiden O'Connell might be the best one out of all the quarterbacks. Like when it's all said and done, he might end up being the best one out of the whole damn draft. The problem is we don't know that right now. And and you don't know. Like I said, I don't feel like when they drafted him in the fourth round, even though they traded up to go get him, like Hardcore Raiders said, I don't think that I was with the intention of saying that's our next franchise quarterback. That's just me, though. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And then also when it comes to we don't know how good that any of the top first-round quarterbacks can be, you're drafting on the potential on what right. you think that they could be. So for me, it's when everybody around the league, when you hey, who's on your board? Right. Everyone thinks that those three guys, or even Will Levis, if you want to add four, Hendon Hooker, just about every quarterback that was picked ahead of him, they have the potential to be more. 
everybody, it's a, it'd be a happy accident if he turns into be a really good starting quarterback. But no one had him, you know, having that potential to be right. that guy. Because even if the Raiders, if they thought he was the franchise quarterback, you're not going to wait until the fourth round to get him. Well, unless you think that you can, unless you see all the projections like, oh, yeah, he's going to drop. He's going to be there waiting and we'll go grab that guy. I mean, you never know. Look, Brock Purdy was a gift and a curse. Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant, the last guy picked, and he turned into be a really good quarterback. So now everyone believes that, hey, man, don't matter where you get a quarterback, right? Hey, they have the potential of being really good. And, well, they're not wrong, but at the same time, you don't want to put that eggs in that basket and say, well, just because, hey, hell, he was a fourth-round pick. Purdy was a seventh-round pick. That's a lot better than seventh. Right? I mean, so you can make the <laughs> argument. I'm not buying the argument, yes. but I'm saying you can make the argument and say, well, there's a chance. And then, of course, you always fall back and say, well, look where Tom Brady was selected. You know, I mean, there's always that. But we'll see. You know, and that's why I threw the question out there, seeing if, if you thought maybe they made a mistake by not getting more aggressive in the draft to go get their guy. I got a couple texts I wanted to get to. Uh, this one's from Vegas Pete, 69187, keyword R&R. Everyone is overreacting. Football players get beat up, period. Wilson also had a minor cleanup procedure that they didn't even need to tell you about because it isn't a big deal. It's May, not September. So Vegas Pete is chilling. He's got a margarita. He went and got a Cadillac margarita, got a little extra something-something in it. He's good to go. He's relaxing. He ain't tripping. Here's the thing. The difference with Tyree Wilson, they also didn't say, hey, Tyree, if you don't play this year, you're not getting your money. (laughs) That's the big difference. Right. So he got a fully guaranteed contract. Exactly. That's the big difference where you can say, hey, maybe it's a similar injury. That could very well be the case. But one guy, they said, hey, how about we hold off on giving you your money just so just just. And another guy, they said, no, we're still going to give you your money because we believe that you're going to come back being healthy. I will say, even though, you know, uh, everyone believes that Tyree Wilson is going to be healthy and I do as well. uh, It is a little scary when you think of a big man with a foot injury. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's a big dude. And a foot injury is, is something. So, again, um, they, they're really rolling the dice, gambling a little bit. You know, I always get nervous when, when teams go in and draft injured guys, especially teams that aren't real deep. You know, if, you go in, if you're a deep team and you can go get a guy and just say, hey, no worries, you're just going to let that guy sit for a year and he'll come back fine because you're so deep you can do that, that's okay. But if you're a team that you're counting on that guy to go out there and play and be really good and he's injured already – you know, to start with, or you you draft him and he's injured, I always get a little concerned about that. But, again, we'll wait and see. Uh, mandatory minicamps around the corner, and then training camp will start, and we're hoping to see everyone out there. We got another text from the 530. I agree with what a previous caller said. We are, we'd be comfortable with keeping Stidham. Zig, in a recent interview, said he preferred paying a backup, a backup quarterback on a rookie deal. I understand Zig's thoughts, but I would have been okay with Stidham as our starter. So I think a lot of people still have that thoughts about Jarrett Stidham because he did go out there and show that he can function as a starting quarterback. Now he's 0-2, so there's that. But he did, especially in that San Francisco game, show that he could play that role. To me, I just didn't think that he was going to be an attractive uh, you know, guy or a free agent for any other team out there but the Raiders. And then Denver, on first day of free agency, not even free agency, <laughs> of the legal tampering period, go out and agree on a deal with them. Yeah, because you had the line all of all offseason where, hey, he's more valuable yeah. to the Raiders than he is to another team. Right. But I do think that Denver, they liked what they saw. And I don't know how sure they are about Russell Russell Wilson. I yeah. don't know how sure they are about him. But if that's going to be McDaniel's philosophy, as that texter just mentioned, hey, we can build up and mold that guy. He's probably looking at Jared Stenham, 
we did all we could for him. I'm happy that he got that money. Now we can bring in the next Jared Stidham that's going to be a O'Connell. Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes with him. Uh, Cucamonga Raiders said, sounds like the Raiders are really rolling the dice on this and are okay accepting a risk with no real backup plan in mind that I see. I'm 100% not okay with this. It's a disservice to this diehard fan base to go into a season like this. Basically saying if we do not at least have a high draft pick, if we do – at least we get a high draft pick. I'm not cut like that. I feel teams should go into the season with being number one on their mind about winning and making the moves to prove that. At the end of the day, if the diehard fan base that pours money into the franchise and bare min- uh, and the bare minimum, we ask is logical moves to get this going in the right direction. I'm done with the offseason drama <laughs> year after year. I want to win. That's Cucamonga Raider. Little scrambled or scrambled up on that text, but you get the gist of it. So there's that. Yeah, I, I agree with what he's saying. Where it seems that they're just saying. Hey, if, if Jimmy doesn't work out, if, you know, you don't put that clause in there, if you don't expect, you know, there's at least a percentage, I don't know how small, that they, hey, this is something that could happen. And then if that does happen, no one's expecting Brian Brian Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell to lead them to the promised land. Right. So then it would be a punt on the season if Jimmy G's not able to play. Well, right. That's what I, and I expressed that earlier in the show. I'm, that's my concern is that it goes wrong. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the worst-case scenario. If it goes wrong and you go into the season and Brian Hoyer is your starting quarterback with Aiden O'Connell, the backup, I'm assuming at some point Aiden O'Connell would take over and just be the guy and see what you got in him. But with that being said, you're not expecting to win a lot of games, right? And everything is just gravy after that, whatever happens. And then all of a sudden the fan base has to deal with another year of losing football, and that's unfortunate because at this point, like Cucamonga Raiders said and many others have said, it's about time the Raiders get to winning. The fan base, if nobody else, deserves a winner. Also, Cucamonga Raiders said, Brissett could have been our Campbell 2.0. You're right, not exciting, but the best ability is availability, like my boy Q says. I agree with Vegas Pete. It's a little early to get worked up, but it's always nice to have a plan and a plan for the backup plan. Again, that's Cucamonga Raider. Thanks so much for that. We'll take a quick break, come back, close out the show. It's 442. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Had a fun-spirited show so far today. As we're wrapping up, got about 10 to 15 minutes left. Then you'll hear the Raider Roundtable, myself and JT, recorded earlier today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, Raiders HQ. There could be potentially some more coming up later on this week. Uh, Upon further review, we'll be doing a little bit later. I think I'll be filling in for Eddie Pascal as he's still out. Uh, on paternity leave, him and his wife just uh, had their their baby, so he's getting a little R&R time in the off season. So I think I'll be doing that show maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday. It's also a show you'll hear on Raider Nation Radio 920. We have Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk join the show, Todd Dewey from the Review Journal, John McClain, Sports Radio 610, and Matt Smith from 104.3 The Fan in Denver. And, of course, we've heard from you throughout the course of the show as well at 702-365-9200 in the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. And that's how we'll close out the show with your calls and texts. And uh, Rob in Oakland hit us up with a really good text. The quarterback discussion we're having is our new normal for a season or two. Our old QB, with all his limitations, played the vast majority of the games and was generally conservative with putting the ball in the air. Perhaps he was bad in the red zone. We'll soon see. I think the mistake was recouping absolutely zero for Derek. He had value, but we gave away our leverage, and once that ship sailed, we entered a realm of uncertainty at quarterback, and our recent conversations highlight that. I think it's going to take some time to find the next signal caller because Jimmy is also a stopgap, as far as I could tell. That's Rob in Oakland. Oh, he is not wrong about Jimmy being a stopgap at all. And I, the the value for Derek, I do think that for the team, this was a midseason decision when they decided, 
hey, Derek Carr isn't going to be the guy for us going forward. So I don't think they had the foresight to say as soon as they get the job, hey, Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, the first thing that we're going to do is get rid of the quarterback. Well, they signed him to extension immediately. So, yeah, I don't think that they thought that either. Because they also, yeah, when they, and also the extension, it was one of those deals where there wasn't that much, you know, guaranteed money left on it. But it was also one of those deals. He's not going to play with no guaranteed yeah, money on no his contract. Yeah, he had no guaranteed money on his deal. So they had to sign him to something because there's no yes. way he was playing on that. Yeah. And so it was so many different factors that maybe, you know, like they did that, obviously hoping for the best. But once you see that, hey, Derek's not going to be the guy, I think it's too late to say, and with the way his deal was structured, now we're going to try to get something for him. It just wasn't the right time or place to try to get something for him in that deal. So that ship is already sailed. But I do agree with him 100% on Jimmy is just a stopgap at best. Right. Whereas well, yeah, he, there's no doubt about that. There's yeah, no so doubt. The team, not that they're not going to be in quarterback purgatory because if all things works out with Jimmy G, you're still in that 7-10 to 10 win you know, range with Jimmy G as your starting quarterback if he does play. That, so yeah, it's not that's UB, the thing, though. It's not purgatory, but you know, you're not. he's good enough that you're not going to be bad, but not good enough that, you know, you're expecting him to win you a Super Bowl alone by, you know, just his talent alone. Well, see, I think the thing about it and what Rob is referring to is there's been a lot of years as a Raider fan, as a diehard Raider fan, where I said, oh, yeah, this guy, he could fill the void. All right, this guy could fill the void. Hey, this guy will be able to fill the void. And it wasn't. So it's not necessarily like they're going into it thinking that it's going to be a, a rotation of a lot of different names. But we all know that it could. That could potentially happen. I mean, look, let's go back to 2002, following Rich Gannon. Actually, 2003, because 2003 was Rick Meyer, Rich Gannon, and Marcus Tuiasosopo. And actually, 2004, Rich Gannon was in three games and Kerry Collins. So let's start in 2005. Let's just, for S's and giggles, let's start in 2005. Kerry Collins and Marcus Tuiasosopo. After that, Andrew Walter. Remember, he was the guy that they drafted. He played eight games. Aaron Brooks, free agent, played eight games. Josh McCown, Dante Culpepper, Jamarcus Russell, 2007. Those are the three quarterbacks that competed. 2008, Russell, Walter, all, both guys are drafted. 2009, Russell, Gretkowski, Charlie Fry, a couple free agents and a guy that they drafted. Campbell, as, as our texter said earlier, a, a, a Cucamonga Raider. Jason Campbell in 2010. That was a really good Jason Campbell, too, until he broke his collarbone. Bruce Gretkowski. Palmer, remember they gave up the King's Ransom to to get him. First-round draft pick, a guy sitting on his couch. Campbell, Kyle Bowler. Remember Kyle Bowler? He wasn't worth the salt. Carson Palmer, Terrell Pryor. That was a guy that I thought had an opportunity to be something. He didn't. Terrell Pryor, Matt McGloin, Matt Flynn. Had a buddy that was really good friends with Matt Flynn. and used to he When when the Raiders signed Matt Flynn, he actually made me a shirt. Because a guy I used to work with in Central Texas that said, Just Flynn, baby. And I was like, I refuse to wear that. I refused to wear that. He was like, no, Q, you got to wear it. He literally presented it to me on the air one day, and I was like, dude, you just wasted your money. I don't know how much this cost you. There is no way in holy hell that I'm going to wear this shirt that says, just Flynn, baby. There's no way. Anyway, he didn't play a whole hell of a lot. Let's put it like that. I have to do one, the research real quick. Tyler, start. Texas. Yeah, yeah, East Texas. Yeah, Tyler, <laughs> Texas, no doubt. That was, that was Craig Smoke. That was uh, Smokey's son. Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek Carr and McGloin. Derek Carr and EJ Manuel. Derek Carr, Derek Carr, Derek Carr, Derek Carr, Derek Carr and Stidham. And so now nobody who's a lifelong Raider fan wants to go back to the days of Campbell, Grakowski, Russell, Collins, Tuiasazopo, Brooks, Culpepper. You know what I mean? Insert free agent quarterback for the year. So that's the big concern when you start to hear about, you know, Jimmy G in this situation. And we all know, like I said, he's a stopgap guy. At some point, you've got to find your next guy. But that's the thing where I do think that Jimmy G is different from all of those names that you mentioned. How? You, you, you look for him – 
you look for the guy while you still have Jimmy G. What I'm saying is he's going to keep the ship afloat where it's not going to be that that constant rotating door with Jimmy G if he's going to be healthy. That's my difference. You know what I mean? Right. Where Jimmy G, hey, it's, you know, maybe it's not what you want, but you have that seven, that eight-win game season and not just the, man, Matt Flynn, he's going to get beat out. Bruce Gradkowski, no one thinks that he's a legit starting quarterback at the NFL level. That's the difference where you have that competence. Maybe he's not the end-all, be-all at quarterback, but he's a competent starting quarterback in the league. And that's what was missing from that list of names that you mentioned there. Well, all those guys at one point, especially those free agents, they were all – Good quarterbacks at one time. It's just that that one time wasn't when the Raiders had him. I mean, that's unfortunate, you know? And so that's the thing. Yeah, Jimmy G could be a guy that could hold it down for a little while, but he might not be. And look, we're talking about this before June, and I don't want to hit the panic button. We're talking about this before June, and he's not healthy, right? And so to expect and assume that he'll be healthy for this year, and while they look for another quarterback maybe next year, and who knows if they don't find their guy next year, or maybe they do find their guy. Maybe they already have their guy. Maybe Aiden O'Connell's that dude. Right. I just it, it's it's very similar. And I think that's Rod's point. It's very similar to all those free agents that I just ran off because you're expecting. Look, they didn't expect to go and get a free agent every single year. They thought that, OK, Dante Culpepper, he's healthy now. He's going to be the guy. And we all remember the three touchdown game against the Miami Dolphins when he told everybody he was back. Yeah. You know how long he was back for? Not long. <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's just that's that's the reality. It wasn't Minnesota Viking Dante Culpepper they were getting. They were getting uh Past Miami Dolphins and injured quarterback Dante Culpepper, and they got him for a quick minute, and he was okay. But that was it. He was just okay. couple more texts that we get to before we close out the show. Uh, again, this one's from Robin Oakland talking about the NBA. He said, the Warriors defeated an injured and incomplete Nuggets team over the last couple of years. I've enjoyed watching uh, Joker's run, his full, uh, his full squad this season. That is until I saw a Nuggets fan at Denver home game with a bunch of plastic chains. One which had a big charm from the Elway era, a big orange D with a donkey inside it. Just visualizing that put a taint on the entire Nuggets organization. That's Rob in Oakland. He wasn't feeling that, and that's funny. The big old plastic chain. I like that. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Vegas Pete hit us up, said Nuggets in five or six is my pick. I plan on betting it. They're minus 450, so I might parlay them and VGK to win their titles. And, yeah, shout-out to the Vegas Golden Knights as they're punched their ticket to the the, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. That's going to be a lot of fun to see them on their run. Hopefully they win the, the title. Then you have the Aces as champions. You have the Golden Knights as champions. And all the Raiders will have to do is, is, is their part. Woo! Just step your game up. That's all you got to do. You know, everyone else is winning. You got to win, too. I like that. I like that kind of pressure, man. I think that's a little bit of pressure uh, on the organization to go and get it done. So uh, thank you, Vegas Pete. I appreciate that. Um, Also, as I hear the music, that means, Q, you better wrap this up. I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm liking. Uh, I think I got to everything. I think I got all the texts, all the tweets. Appreciate that. There it is. That's going to do it for us. Greg, great job uh, behind the wheels of steel. We definitely appreciate you. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow, but make sure you're waking up with the morning tailgate, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Vinny Monsignor, Lindsey Brown, Clay Baker, and JT the Brick will hold it down during noon to two hours, and then myself and Damon, maybe Greg, maybe we'll invite Greg back, as long as he's not hanging up on listeners like he did earlier today. Sorry about that, Raider X, but uh, yeah, we might invite. <laughs> you use microphones, man. We're in radio, dude. Don't yell across the room. I thought it sounded better off the mic. Sorry. <laughs> Hey, man, this phone is like something. I don't know what this This phone is terrible. I don't know who invented this phone. I don't know who made this phone. But I'm going to throw this phone somewhere and bring a new phone in or something. I like it. Do it tomorrow. That's how we do it. It's Unnecessary Roughness. Radio 920.